I salute you, President Camacho. (laughs) (laughs) Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Ulfstrom. They prowled the waters of the Gulf of Mexico, looking for targets headed for Europe. Oil tankers, merchant ships, and passenger ships. When they first arrived, they enjoyed easy pickings, a literal turkey shoot. But things got tougher for those Nazis, and by 1943, happy time was over. As odd as it sounds, we're talking about German U-boats patrolling the waters off of Galveston Island. But first, what's your favorite German restaurant in Texas? Well, I've lived an extremely sheltered life, so the only German restaurant I've actually been to in Texas is the Bavarian Grill right here in Plano, Texas, and it is phenomenal. I would highly recommend it to anyone that likes to eat. I'm going to double down and say the Bavarian Grill in Plano, Texas, because it's the first thing that comes to mind, and it's the last major German restaurant I've eaten at in many years. <laughs> well, I've, I've actually been to a couple of other Texas German restaurants, um, but for the sake of unity, I'll say the Bavarian Grill in Plano. <laughs> so next time you're in Plano, stop on by and tell them we sent you. <laughs> and they'll be like, what? Who is those guys? Was? Was is das? <laughs> Seriously, though. It's a good place, good place to eat. Three days after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor in 1941, Germany declared war on the United States. Now, the Germans had already been attacking Allied shipping in the Atlantic since 1939 with their submarines in an effort to isolate and starve Great Britain. Traveling in squadrons known as wolf packs, they successfully attacked convoy after convoy and wreaked havoc on the effort to keep Great Britain supplied. After declaring war on the United States, Germany immediately enacted a secret plan called Operation Drumbeat. Their U-boat forces moved across the Atlantic and began attacks on shipping off the east coast of the United States. The U.S. was caught flat-footed, despite urgent warnings from the British and an offer of warships to bolster coastal defenses, this was rejected, the United States took no significant steps to prepare for this offensive. Up and down the east coast, lighthouses swept the ocean. Cities and towns left their lights burning highlighting the silhouettes of ships, which were steaming by themselves. They could be seen streaming in straight lines, taking no evasive action. As a result, oil tankers and merchant ships quickly fell prey to their prowling submarines in alarming numbers. Off Cape Hatteras, on the coast of North Carolina, sailing became so dangerous that it was dubbed Torpedo Alley by the U.S. Navy. By the end of World War II, almost 400 ships and 5,000 lives had been lost in what is known as the Graveyard of the Atlantic. U-boat sailors dubbed it the Great American Turkey Shoot. Coastal inhabitants said that the fires from the burning tankers were so bright that you could read a newspaper in the middle of the night. People who frequented the beaches complained about how the oil that washed up on shore was difficult to clean from their feet. One explosion was so great that the locals thought it might be an earthquake. Sadly... The United States Navy leadership didn't find the problem worthy of attention until the Army Chief of Staff complained that the massive numbers of ships being sunk threatened America's ability to conduct the war. But as bad as things got off the Atlantic coast, in many ways they got worse as the Germans shifted their focus to the Gulf of Mexico. In February 1942, squadrons totaling 24 German U-boats arrived in the Gulf of Mexico, determined to interrupt the flow of oil and other war material to Europe, which was leaving those ports. 
Texas was critical to the British and American war effort. Texas coast from Beaumont to Corpus Christi was home to the largest petrochemical industry in the world. Production had been gearing up since 1940 and would only increase throughout the war. Houston and New Orleans were among the most important ports in the U.S., handling a massive flood of oil, food, and other goods. The U-boat captains were stunned by what they found when they arrived in the Gulf. Ships plied the waters without any security, steaming along as if there was no danger. It was incredulous to them that there was such easy targets after the uh, the havoc they had already wreaked on the eastern coast. Um, the lighthouses continued to sweep the horizon and highlighted the ships just as they had in the eastern seaboard. The lights from coastal homes and businesses created perfect silhouettes, again, making them easy targets to sink. All around the Gulf Coast, from Florida to Texas, the United States was completely unprepared for the invasion. 42 ships were sunk in May of 1942 alone. Despite continued warnings from the British Royal Navy, U.S. naval intelligence discounted the danger, unconvinced that the U-boats would travel so far. As the death toll increased, the United States scrambled to put together the elements necessary to defend shipping in the Gulf. When the U.S. finally responded to the threat, they put together a motley assortment of assets. Right, and the Germans actually had some large submarines that they called milk cows that had fuel and food and torpedoes supplies. They weren't, they weren't hunting ships, so they would supply these wolf packs. So they basically, uh, yeah, they, that was part of the reason they thought they weren't going to be in the Gulf was they didn't have the range, so to speak. Right. So in Texas, old fortifications were renovated and rearmed. So, for example, the fort on Bolivar Point, which is just north of Galveston Island. Lighthouses and light ships were armed, and they played a critical role in keeping a vigilant watch for prowling U-boats. Naval air stations were established along the coast to hunt for submarines. Of greater importance, though, was the expansion of the Civil Air Patrol. Civilians from the Civil Air Patrol were enlisted to fly their own planes and patrols along the coast. They were the ones who got the shipping to change their routes from the middle of the Gulf to along the transcontinental shelf near shore. Um, Traveling here, the cap planes could see the silhouettes of the subs in the shallow water and then call in assets to attack them. From 1941 to 1944, the Civil Air Patrol anti-submarine patrols flew out of Coastal Patrol Base 12, which was first established in Brownsville and later moved to San Benito, Texas. CAP volunteer pilots flew over 30,000 patrol hours along the South Texas coast looking for the German U-boats. Mary Astor, who was a prominent Hollywood actress who'd won the Academy Award for her performance in The Great Lie, joined the Civil Air Patrol in Los Angeles during the war. Now, she came to Texas and helped set up the operations center at Coastal Patrol Base 12. Now, there's um, another Hollywood celebrity, director Henry King, served as deputy commander of the base and held the grade of captain. In his final years, he was actually the oldest licensed private pilot in the United States. One time, King was flying over the Gulf when he realized they were consuming so much fuel due to strong headwinds that they wouldn't be able to return to the base. They were forced to land in Mexico, where they were immediately arrested as spies. Fortunately, they found three Mexican pilots who knew them, and they were able to convince the authorities to allow them to refuel and fly back to their base in the United States. Soon after the incident, Mexico granted cap planes special authority to refuel in Mexico under special conditions. Now, I believe we mentioned in the past, but people are still not generally aware that Mexico was a supporter of the Axis powers for a short time during the war. Half of their oil production went to Germany and 25% to Italy prior to 1942. 
German agents were known to be scattered throughout the country. Rumors of a German invasion raged through South Texas, especially in the valley near Mexico. Padre Island was teeming with U.S. Army, Navy, and Coast Guard troops, and they had listening posts searching for any enemy activity. However, in May of 1942, two Mexican oil tankers, the Portero de Lano and Faja de Oro, were sunk by German U-boats as they carried oil to the United States. Mexican President Manuel Camacho declared war on Germany, Italy, and Japan. The Mexican Navy and Air Force joined the United States in their effort to combat the submarine threat in the Gulf, and it was the only Latin American country besides Brazil to contribute combat troops during the war. Maybe they shouldn't have sunk those two ships. I I salute you, (laughs) President Camacho. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That one's for the fans. In June of 1942, the German submarine U-166 was sunk off the coast of Louisiana after she had sunk the passenger ship Robert E. Lee. The ship was carrying survivors of previous sinkings back to New Orleans when 166 torpedoed it, sending it to the bottom of the Gulf along with 25 crew and passengers. 404 souls were saved. PC-566, a U.S. patrol ship escorting the Robert E. Lee, attacked immediately and sank the submarine with depth charges. U-166 was the only German submarine lost in the Gulf, and it rests 5,000 feet below the surface. It's now a grave with the entire crew of 52 men, and she had been in service for just two months. Oil companies working in the Gulf today are required by U.S. law to survey the Gulf bottom with sonar and report any wrecks that they find. That's how the U-166 and the Robert E. Lee were both located in 2001. By 2007... 18 other wreck sites have been identified. One month after the sinking of the Robert E. Lee, the Oaxaca, a 6,000-ton Mexican freighter loaded with rubber, caustic soda, and miscellaneous cargo, left the port of Corpus Christi headed east. Her captain believed that by staying close to the coastline, he could avoid attacks by U-boats. He was wrong. The U-171, lurking off the coast near Port O'Connor, had already sunk two other ships. One ship was the oil tanker Amatlan, sunk near the Texas-Mexico border. When U-171 sighted the Oaxaca, she fired two torpedoes. One struck the freighter amidships, breaking her in half. She sank in just three or four minutes. The explosion was heard by construction workers building an Air Force base on Matagorda Island. The workers ended up assisting in the rescue efforts to recover the surviving 30 crew members. The Oaxaca is known by locals as the rubber ship because bales of rubber sometimes show up on the beaches nearby. As the sinkings mounted up, rumors began to spread up and down the Gulf Coast. U-boat crewmen were said to be coming ashore to watch movies in New Orleans and to go shopping in Houston. None of these rumors were ever substantiated, but they speak to the fear that ran rampant as the attacks increased. Reminds me of the movie 1941. Exactly. Unlike today's nuclear-powered submarines, diesel-powered German U-boats could only stay submerged for a little while. They were slow and not very maneuverable. Most of the time, they ran on the surface using their powerful diesel engines. They had to use batteries when they were submerged. This made them vulnerable to attack from aircraft and military ships. After the success U-boats had in the Gulf, American ships began sailing in convoys with military escorts to protect them. Many of the... Go figure... Many of these escorts, as well as replacement merchant vessels, were produced in shipyards on the Texas coast. 
Three shipyards in the small city of Orange, Texas on the Sabine River produced more ships per capita than any production center in the United States. These included 39 destroyers and 110 destroyer escorts. Other shipyards produced destroyers and other escort vessels that stemmed the tide in the war against the German Navy. These measures all decreased the effectiveness of the U-boats and eventually forced them out of the Gulf. The introduction of sonar and radar, as well as other technological innovations, drove the German Navy steadily away from the American coasts, and by 1944, the silent threat of the U-boat was broken in the Atlantic for good. By the time they were driven out of the Gulf, U-boats had totaled 111 ships attacked, 56 sunk, and 882 casualties. They even shot down a Navy observation blimp off the coast of Florida, killing 9 of her 10 crew members. This was the closest the war physically got to Texas itself, although, of course, many families suffered the effects of the war. In the end, it was a small but important victory in the great struggle against Hitler's Germany. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. Well, this was an interesting story. I was just stumbling around. This kind of came out of a... I was stumbling around and, and stumbled across about this Gulf base that was built down in San Benito, Texas. And uh, I was like, uh, oh, we... we we killed a bunch of German submarines in the Gulf right off of the Texas coast, huh? That's news to me. Are you speaking of Coastal Patrol Base 12? Coastal Patrol Base 12 reporting for duty, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it was really cool. And then it was like, oh, wow, like there's this whole, again, this is like, this should be, again, this reminds you of that hidden mysteries on the History Channel. Yeah. German submarines off the Cowboy Coast. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and there's a couple of threads that sort of tie together with Texas the Civil Air Patrol is one. Uh, I read an article about the light ships in the Gulf uh, uh, several months ago, and you know one of them said that one of them was armed uh, during the war. Um, and so that was another thread to Texas. And then the, the one that, that I really tried to include was uh, the, the part about Orange, and that actually has a personal connection because my wife's grandmother and grandfather both came to Orange from Mississippi uh, for work during the war. Her grandfather mm-hmm. was in the merchant marine, but he was an electrician, and he worked at the shipyards. And her, oh, grand- wow. her grandmother's father and mother worked at the shipyards as well. Very cool. Yeah. Like, and now, the thing that I thought was really interesting kind of too in this is that this idea of we sort of think of Mexico as not on our side in these World mm-hmm. War conflicts. Yeah. You know, there's the the letter from World War One, and then now you get to World War Two, and there's like, well, they've been selling oil and fuel and things to the Germans. But uh, you know, it's it's interesting that this specific incident and the overzealous uh, German U-boat captains really flipped the tide of the war and and mm-hmm. got Mexico involved. Right. And but I I also love President Camacho. So <laughs> so I, I salute you, President yeah, I- Camacho. And they were they were an important part of the war because as more and more American ships and troops started headed heading towards the Pacific and towards the, the Atlantic to the actual theaters of the war, Mexico's Air Force was able to help patrol the Gulf. Uh, and you know there wasn't that worry of uh, problems across the Rio Grande coming into Texas from Mexico because Mexico's more stable economically at that time politically. Well, I'd love to hear from any pilots out there who, especially from down in the valley, you know, Brownsville, San Benito Way, that maybe knew some of the old guys that uh, were in the Civil Air Patrol back in the day. 
you know, or maybe, you know, like grandfather's kinds of friends or those sort of stories that passed down. I, I haven't found a good document, uh, like a good resource where any of that stuff was when I was digging around on this episode to see other than beyond the Hollywood connection, which is kind of interesting that these, you know, young starlet and big Hollywood producer are going down to Texas to teach Mr. <laughs> Hitler a thing or two. <laughs> Paukenschlag. Paukenschlag. Yeah. And, you know, today, if you want to go to Bolivar Point, which is just north of Galveston, uh, the – what is the fort called, Scott? Do you remember? Uh, fort Travis, fort I Travis. believe. Yeah. If you want to go – there's a beach and a state park and uh, uh, Fort Travis, The um, some of the embankments and uh, anti-aircraft gun mountings are still there. So you could see that little bit of history. Yep. Yeah, very cool. Well, there you go, folks. Texas, the reason we won the war against Hitler. Right here on our own front doorstep. That's right. Part of it. Part of it. Eh, you know, I like to think all of it, but that's fine. Uh, That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstaple.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. If you'd like to support the show financially and become a member of the Come and Take It Nation, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash texaspodcast. And if you want, follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Schaum, two ends. And I'm Scotticus. Special thanks to Paul Schmel for helping us to research and write today's episode. You can find him at Paul Schmel on Twitter. We know you love the show. We know you love Texas. So get out there and do your duty. Sailor, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find new listeners just like you. We hope that you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Thank you.